How many people have your Bible today? If you have your Bible, stand up and hold it above your head and bear witness of it. Beautiful. You may be seated. I would like you to turn to two places. The first is Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. The second is John chapter 16. Daniel 1, John 16. When you find your places, say, I have it. Daniel 1, John 16. Anybody have it yet? Oh, I thought we were going to say we had it when we found it. I thought that was the agreement that we set forth. Are we a non-vocal crowd this morning? Anybody vocal this morning? All right. I want you to turn around and say hello to the person beside of you. I want you to greet them. Ask them if they're having a good day. Tell them why you're looking forward to hearing the word today. All right. All right. I want to talk to you today about something that, um, that I can look back in my life and see that was apparent, and I can especially see it when you're pastoring a church and you're watching the flock and you're, you're wanting always for, to see the, the people that are following the Lord be able to make a, a strong commitment and be able to serve and want to push forward and live that more deeply devoted life to God. There's something that happens that uh, is apparent. It's just we don't talk about it. We sort of brush it under the rug. And I want to take time to talk about it today. It's something that happens on the inside of us. I know in my life there were times where uh, I knew I'd accepted the Lord as my Savior. I knew that uh, I was involved in church. There were other things that I could be involved in, but I had my own agenda. I knew there were things that I wanted to get accomplished. And so, in my mind, when I knew that I had an opportunity to do something, whether it be worship, or whether it be pray, or whether it be serve in some capacity, there was this overwhelming uh, thought within my mind that said, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm just not feeling it. And I've actually had the opportunity to talk to a couple of people who have maybe become less frequent. They've drifted away from that, that continual worship, that everyday worship that God told us we're supposed to do. And basically, they have, they have verbalized, I'm not feeling it. Now, I've also listened to countless people who have given uh, either one excuse or another that are all wrapped around this hidden phrase that we're not wanting to admit, which is, I'm not feeling it. And that excuse can be, well, hey, listen, I've got this going on, or this is happening, and it seems to be something all the time. It's not a one-time thing, but it continually keeps them away. And basically, the bottom line behind that is that you're just not feeling it. And, and by rights, we don't always feel like it, right? You see, there's got to be something that's stronger than just a feeling. There's got to be something that's stronger than an emotion, and today, I watch because I'm seeing in this world of easy believism, and this is the way that the, the church is being centered around. It's easy believing in them. You just come to God and believe that there is a God, and we can sing these songs together, and we can lift His name up and praise His name, and that's all He requires of you. Then you can go out and, and live the way you feel. But understand when we're trying to appeal to people by emotion, then emotions change. They come and go. They can be up. They can be down. And so I start before I, I'm even opening the Scripture, and I want to tell you how applicable this is. 
I want you to understand it becomes a big issue. We accept it in our spiritual life, but we don't accept it in our regular life. And I want to show you case in point. If I were to go to Miss Angie and I were to say, hey, listen, I know that uh, I need to pour myself Pour, pour my life into myself this week. I know we're married, but this week I'm just not feeling it. I know there are expectations you have of me as a husband, but I hope you can understand I'm just not feeling it. I need to just, uh, it needs to be about me. Well, how many people think that would be acceptable? Well, none of us would. Why? Well, because it's not about me. I made a covenant that said it wasn't about me anymore. I made a covenant that said we became one. When we became one, it can't just be about me. It's supposed to be about unselfishness. I can't choose to not feel it, can I? But if I do choose to not feel it and say I'm not feeling it and pour myself into me and not pour myself into her because I'm not feeling it but I don't state it, guess what will happen to our marriage? It'll fall apart. As a father... My responsibility to my children were to support my children and go out and work and love them and be able to make sure they had whatever they had. If I were to go home and to say, hey kids, listen, I know everybody is wanting to stay warm and fed and clothed, but listen, give me about a month, I'm not feeling it. How many people would accept that? Nobody would. Nobody would. That's my duties of service. But it was based on, you know what? I'm just going through this thing right now. No, no, no. That can't happen. But what is it that makes it in my mind where it can't happen to those things, but I can do it to God? Oh, somebody jump in this with me. How many people have done it to God? God, I just ain't feeling it. I know I need to pray more. I ain't feeling it. I know I need to to study a little bit more. I'm not feeling it. I know I need to worship more. I'm not feeling it. Doesn't the Bible say with this truth, pray without ceasing? Doesn't it say with this truth, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? That means come together. Doesn't it say with the truth, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are those not all truths from God? Then how can I take those and not feel it? Here's how. It's because I'm motivated to act based on my emotion, not on my conviction. You see, my conviction is different than my emotion. My conviction is deep within me. My emotion is intellectual. It comes, it goes, it's up, it's down. Can I get a witness? Anybody else? So we wonder why our motivation is like this. You see, I'm not just content on us coming in here and saying, hey, here's what we need to do. We need to go out here and here's what we need to do. I need to find out what's wrong with me. And so when you're studying in the Word, sometimes God will will show you the truth to show you what's wrong with you. Why? So that you can get right with God and stay right with God. So I wonder, as I explore this, what is it that motivates me? 
And then I look back as I'm studying and I'm figuring out, hey, listen, there were large areas of my life where I was not motivated by what was in me. I was motivated by what I felt at the time. You think we should talk a little bit about it? You see, if we're motivated by our feelings or our emotions, then we know this can be a roller coaster ride. We can be up, we can be down. It just depends on the day of the week, right? Depends on the circumstance. If we feel sad or tired or discouraged or angry, we're not going to be as motivated to do something that we're supposed to do as we would if we felt happy or energetic or encouraged. So hopefully God's going to keep me happy so that I can be motivated to serve Him. Well, I see in the Bible where there's a lot of people that served Him even when things weren't going right, right? And if we're motivated by our own logic or our own opinion, then we know that we also can, we can have a lack of motivation to do something. Our opinion of certain situations can be based on how much we know about a certain subject. Or if it's based on inaccurate information, because as much as we don't want to admit it, we don't know everything. So if our motivation is based on how we think, then our motivation can be up and down also, can it? If our motivation is based on what everybody else around us is doing. You know, it's easy to say, I'm doing better than someone else, but still not be doing what you need to do. It just depends on how bad everybody else around you is. I always loved that. My, my line I hated worse is when I was asking one of my children what they did because I disapproved of it. And they say, well, at least I didn't do this like other people did, right? So you're going and you're comparing yourself to the worst, right? Here's where we set the standard at the bottom. I'm above the standard. No! But if I am motivated by what I think society accepts, then my motivation is not going to be consistent either. How many people see all these things going on? See, we battle up and down motivation in trying to live for God. And then there's some people that never even get motivated to come to God. You see, there has to be a motivation to come to God. There has to be a, a point to where God's been given glory and somebody realizes it, and so this person is motivated to come to God, but we don't see as much of that happening as we need to either. So what's happening with that motivation? So I want us to talk today about what we should be motivated by if we want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And what I want to give to you is what the Bible says today. You see, so many of us are guilty of being motivated by the way we feel, but God wants us to be motivated by our conviction. He wants us to live by our conviction, not live by our feelings. You know how it is living by your feeling. So I throw this big word in here today, conviction. And God wants us to be able to live by our conviction. And I want us to be able to see what His Word says about it, because it should change your life. Well, what do you mean? Well, is your life not an up and down thing that's happening? Can you look back in your life and see inconsistency? Well, I sure can. I can see it in yours. I can see it in mine. You know, at the same time that I'm saying this, there, there are people that are thinking, well, I come and I worship as much as I can. And understand, you're quantifying as much as I can based on what you feel like doing the other times that you aren't. You heard that, right? 
oh, it's wrapped in every kind of reason from we have to go here, we have to go here, this is not happening, we don't usually do this, we have this. All of this is basically wrapped around we don't feel like it. Because if you felt like it, it's what you would do. Every excuse we have not to pray or not to witness, every excuse we have not to be able to draw close to God is basically based in an excuse that says, I don't feel like it, where we would be very angry if someone that was supposed to be loving us or obligated to us would give us the answer, I don't feel like it. Praise God, there's not a time where He doesn't feel like loving us. When we talk about conviction, we normally we normally think conviction is it's a time where we feel bad about doing something that we shouldn't have done. And I'll give you that. That's, that's one of the, the definitions of conviction. But the conviction that I'm talking about today, as it applies to the Bible, is a conviction that is a deeply held belief that guides your actions in life. A conviction. So I want to take you back so that you'll understand. It is my conviction, my deeply held belief that I need to be the husband that I need to be. It is my deeply held belief, my conviction that I need to be the father that I need to be. If you're working somewhere and you're, you're, uh, you've made a, a commitment to this job, then it's your deeply held conviction that you need to show up and do. It's not a matter of I'm not feeling it. It's a deeply held conviction. Are you getting what I'm saying? It goes beyond feeling. It goes beyond emotion. It goes beyond intellect. Because, listen, some of us are gifted in justification. We can give you a reason all the time where we can't do something. And it has to do with something we're feeling. Either sadness, or sorrow, or busyness, or anger. All those things are motivators and we act upon that. Or we can do it by intellect that says, well, if we, if we went here, we couldn't go here. Or, listen, this is not my angle in witnessing. I'm not going to do this because I think it would be better to go around this other way and do this. And so, we take something God tells us to do, and we don't do it because we're motivated by our emotion, not by conviction. And so, I want us to be able to look into it today to see that God wants us to live a life motivated by a deeply held belief, not by an emotion. I ask you to turn to Daniel chapter 1 because this story points out something that I think is going to be able to let us see an application. And in this whole book of Daniel, what a great book. It's a book where we have some of the the stories in it that we learn as children and we use them as standards. It's also a book of prophecy to where it's applicable for today. We can compare it and we can be able to cross-reference it with the book of Revelation. It gives us time timelines and guidelines that God revealed to Daniel. But in this application today, I want you to be able to see something so clearly. There was one thread through all the stories that we hear and that thread was that these people in the book of Daniel that were motivated to do what they did were motivated by their conviction to God, not by their feelings, not by their logic, not by their intellect. 
And I'm telling you, this is across the board a major issue because all of us, the first thing that comes to us is that intellect, that feeling, right? Daniel chapter 1. I gave you a little background and setting here, a little history. In the book of Daniel, as it begins, Babylon overthrew Jerusalem. The Babylonians were under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. They took captives out of Babylon, which were young men who were smart and handsome and physically fit. And you say, why would they take these? They had a purpose for them. The Babylonians' purpose was to train these young captives to serve the king and the kingdom of Babylon as royal servants. They were going to be treated very, very well. They were going to be taken care of very well. And they were going to be put in offices in the kingdom that that they needed to serve in, which would be better than putting Babylonians in there. At least they would be servants and they could be trusted. They were going to take these men, but the first thing that they wanted to do, they wanted to take somebody that fit all these things. They had to be super smart. They had to be handsome in appearance. They had to be able to socially communicate. So they took these young men and their first step was to brainwash them. So they would take them in and in brainwashing them, these children of Israel, these people who had grown up in Jerusalem, the first thing they needed to do in brainwashing was to introduce them to other gods besides their God. That's always the first step in brainwashing is to be able to get rid of someone's belief by introducing other beliefs. You say, well, that doesn't get rid of someone's belief. It does what the devil wants to do. It confuses. I'll give you case in point. We know some characters in the the book of Daniel. It's Daniel, and we know of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But I want you to understand that Daniel's name was changed when he got to Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Their name wasn't even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So understand, they changed these names for a reason. I want you to read verses 1 through 7. And you'll see as Daniel begins. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Judah, and besieged Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his land, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's meat and of the wine which he drinks, so nourishing them for three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So the first thing they did was change your names. You say, why is this important? Because this was the process of brainwashing. Understand, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. So they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which meant Bel protect the king. Bel was one of their gods. Hananiah meant the Lord is gracious, but it was changed to Shadrach. 
meaning command of Eku. Eku was one of their gods. Mishal means who is like the Lord. That was changed to Meshach, who mean, which means who is what Eku is. Another one a reference to their God. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. His name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, which is the same as their God Nebo, who was one of their gods of vegetation. So understand, immediately they began to brainwash. You say, why are we going here? Because I want you to understand that where we're going here, you're living in a society now that's trying to brainwash. You're living in a society where the system is, let's get the name of God off of things and let's let everybody be able to worship various gods. You say, well, that still doesn't do away with our God. No, but it confuses everyone else. You say, well, why do you stand on that? Well, maybe because the first commandment God gave was, I am the Lord thy God, there shall be no other gods before me. Then he said, Thou shalt not worship any graven image. Why was he giving us these truths? Because he knows how we work. Even though these Babylonian king, the Babylonian kingdom was trying to, to brainwash these young men, I want you to see how they stood. Now the first case happens in chapter 1. You saw that they took them in, they took care of them, they gave them a portion of the king's meat, meaning they got to eat better than any slave you would ever think. They wanted them nourished. They wanted them strong. They wanted them thinking. But do you know that Daniel, Daniel had a problem with this. Daniel had a problem with this because the meat that they were eating was meat that had been offered to their gods. See, they would come in and they would have these animal sacrifices to their gods. And then they would take the meat and they would distribute it. And it was good meat. But Daniel had read Exodus 34, verse 14 and 15, which says, I am the Lord thy God, I am a jealous God. Amen. You shall not eat the meat that's offered to idols. Meaning that it means that you're accepting, you're accepting that this other God needed to be offered something and you're partaking in it. And so under the law, this was, this was something that would defile Daniel. It would come between him and God. And so Daniel goes in verse 8 and you see him appeal appealed to the, the person in charge of him and said, hey listen, I'm not going to eat this meat. I don't want to eat this meat. This is against my belief to eat this meat. Can we do something about it? Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Why am I going here with this? Well I want you to understand there's a lot of logical reasons why Daniel should have never said anything about it. Number one, he's getting to eat better than anybody else would be getting to eat. Number two, why rock the boat? Listen, he's smart. Won't there be another angle that he's able to present the Lord without having to say, I don't want to do this? Why make waves? But there's a phrase here in verse 8. And Daniel purposed in his heart. Say it with me. What did he do? Purposed in his heart. You see, this is a big deal because you'll see it throughout these stories. Even though they were trying to brainwash, 
Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they chose to live by obedience to God. They chose to take a stand in their belief and hold firmly to their belief. And I want you to remember this definition of conviction. It's a deeply held feeling. It's your motivation for living. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Big statement here. This means that Daniel had an inner conviction that he was not going to disobey God. He had an inner conviction that he was not going to do something. It was not just a feeling, it was a conviction. It was a deeply held belief. Now why am I making a big deal of that? Because this just jumped out to me. It said he purposed in his heart, right? Now, there's a lot of things that I, I purpose in my mind, don't you? A lot of things I purpose in my intellect. A lot of things I purpose in my feelings. As a matter of fact, I act or I don't act because of my feeling or my emotion or my intellect. But when I purpose something in my heart, then I go back to our example we used at the beginning. Then I don't have to even think about it. I've already purposed it in my heart. It's a deeply held belief. You see... The heart, as the Bible describes it, it's not this beating heart, but yet your heart, your heart, characterized heart in the Bible, is the deepest place within you. It is the place that is your inner self. It is inner you. How many of you have said before, I accepted God into my heart? Right? So you've accepted Him into your inner self. You say, well, your heart is not your mind. Your mind is not your brain. When the Bible uses mind, he's not even talking about your brain in most cases. He's talking about your inner self too. Your mind, your will, your, your emotion. It's part of your heart, but it's the inner part, not the outer part. Your heart is who you really are. You're judged according to what is in your heart. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, Right? With the heart man believeth. You see, you can't just believe with the mind because the mind's intellectual. It's emotional. You can believe it one day and forget it the next day, but the heart is the deep place. Why am I, I saying this? Because that is the definition of conviction, a deeply held belief. Held where? What did Joseph, or what, what did uh, Daniel do? He purposed in his heart. What did he act on? He acted on his conviction. He said, I cannot eat this. It's the first story. Can I tell you how it comes out? Well, his keeper came to him and said, well, I just can't do that. If the king knows, if the king knows that I'm going to give you something else. See, Daniel asks, hey, can I just have vegetables? Pulse is what he called it. It could be grain or it could be vegetables, and you can debate that all you want to. But I'm just saying, he said, hey, give me just grain or vegetables. The keeper said, well, I can't do it. If they see that, that you're getting to look bad, we're giving you all this good food so that you can keep looking good. If they see you're beginning to look bad, I'm going to lose my, not just my job, I'm going to lose my head. They're going to kill me because my job was to keep you healthy. And Daniel says, hey, I'll tell you what, do it for 10 days, please. And if we don't look better than we look now, then that's fine. You can stop. What did Daniel do? Daniel said, I know if I live after my conviction, God won't let me down. Amen. Can I share something with you? 
As I began to think about this, I began to think and scroll back through my life. There's a lot of things that God convicted me to do. Anybody ever been convicted by God to do something? And then it was a deeply held belief, and you know, this is the way I believe, and I need to do this. And you were convicted about that belief, and God laid it on my heart, and I didn't do it. And I felt horrible that I didn't do it. But I have never, ever had a conviction that I acted on that I felt bad about doing after I did it. Isn't that crazy? Even though it was hard, and even though I've tried to think every way around it, knowing that I pleased God, I never felt bad about it. Why? Because I pleased Him. And see, we stumble over this all the time. We even have ways to where we say intellectually or logically, there's just, we're going to go about this a different way. I know this person, I, I know they need to come to God, but I don't want to, I don't want to hit them in the head with the Bible. There's that phrase again, right? And what I tell you to do every time you hear somebody say that, hit them in the head with the Bible. You're saying, I don't want to give them God's worth. I don't want to give them truth. I want to try my way. Boy, how does that sound? No, you know what we're doing? We're not going by conviction. We're going by logic. We're going by reason. We're going by feeling. We're going by emotion. Daniel said, hey, do it. God won't let us down. Guess what? They ate it for 10 days. It says their countenance looked better than everybody else. When he came back, he said, hey, listen, you look better. You guys look better than anybody else does. So what happened here? Well, God showed up in this mighty way, and you were able to see that God didn't let them down. Why? Because they lived by their conviction, not emotion. When you get to verse 17, it says, And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. What does this mean? This means that God saw they had an opportunity to live by their conviction instead of what seemed right at the time, and God blessed them for it. And He continues to bless them for it. Next story we have is in Daniel chapter 3. And as I move to Daniel chapter 3, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. How many people know this story? He made an image of gold, and he made a decree. And the decree was made that when certain music played, that everyone was to fall down and worship this image of gold. If they didn't, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to do this. How many people have heard this Bible story? And we take this Bible story, and when I begin to talk about it, even now, you say, oh, I know that story. Well, I want you to see something hidden in the middle of this story. You see, I want you to listen to what happens when they refused to bow down. You see, they also had a conviction. Their conviction was the second commandment. Thou shalt not make to thee any graven image. Thou shalt not worship any graven image. He was they were basically going on a conviction. Now, before I say this, wouldn't it have been a lot more convenient for those guys to say, hey, listen, we're finally in a position to where we, we can make a difference here. We're planning on witnessing, but listen, they've sort of forced our hand. We have to do it because it, it's almost like it's implemented on us and we're going to bow down, but God, this doesn't mean anything. Wouldn't that have been easier for them to do? Or what about the emotion of fear? Wouldn't that have come into play? But not for them. You see, they acted upon their conviction. They lived by their conviction. And we read in verses 13 through 18 of Daniel 3. Listen to what they said to the king. See, the king in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar spake to them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the, the music, then you need to worship the image which I have made. If you do that, then the, the verse says, Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, the king himself brought these three in front of him. The king himself. Now, don't just think, hey, they stood up. They stood up when everybody was watching. They stood up when they were standing in front of the king. The person had the power to just kill them right then. Now, listen, they didn't blink an eye. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what this is saying? We have no problem. Our answer is right here. We can tell you what we're going to do. We're not scared to answer you. We're not worried to answer you. Here it is. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which you've set up. What was their answer? Hey, we have a conviction here. We won't be worshiping any God today except the only true and living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh. That's who we worship. That's what our belief is. We hold it deep down within inside of our heart. So you can threaten us but if our God, if you throw us in that fire, we believe one of two ways. That our God can deliver us out of that fire. But if He doesn't deliver us out of that fire, then we have died knowing that we won't worship any other God. And they had peace with that decision. Why? Because it was a, a good feeling with it? No. Because it was logical? That was not logical. What was it? It was conviction. They lived by their conviction. You know what happened in this story, right? The king got mad. He heated the furnace up seven times as hot. He called the biggest guys that he had to go and grab them, and they bound them. It says in their own coats, read it. And they threw them into the fire, and the fire was so hot that it consumed the guys that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. So they're thrown in the fire, just bad news, bad day all the way around. But I love verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True king, true that. <laughs> verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire. And listen, it says they have no hurt. They threw them bound into the fire, and they looked in and they were loose walking in the fire, but there was another one there, and it says, the fourth is likened to the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar summons them out of the fire, and the Bible tells you, if you read this story, the Bible tells you when they came out of the fire, it's not a fairy tale, guys. When they came out of the fire, it says not one hair of their head was singed. You say, that's not possible. You're exactly right. And with God, all things are possible. And you know what? God's the one that created everything that would create fire so God can completely defy it. What did God want to show here? God wanted to show 
that if you act upon your conviction, that he will walk with you even in the fire. That's huge. And when they came out of the fire, let me tell you the difference. Because a lot of you are in the fire now, or you're facing stuff, or you're making decisions based on logic, or because others around you, and, and all these things would have been good reasons or feelings, but understand something, the end result, I want you to see the end result. The end result is that, if you go to the, the, the last couple of verses, it says, Nebuchadnezzar spake in verse 28 and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might, that they might not serve nor worship any God except their God. Therefore I make a decree. This is the wicked King Nebuchadnezzar that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Now, he was still wicked. He was still going to cut people up. But what was he saying? Don't you dare don't you dare speak bad about this God. This God has done something. What did that do? That brought glory to God. Where am I going with this? When you live by your conviction instead of your emotion, your logic, or your intellect, your actions by your conviction will bring glory to God and it will change other people's lives. There's a lot of pretenders, people that are going along with society, people that are saying, do what you want to do and this isn't really wrong. And a lot of churches that are changing their stance on stuff, guess what? They're not bringing any glory to God. Glory gets brought to God when you take a stand on your conviction. That's when God shows up. We wonder sometimes why, why we don't see God working more in our life and we need to say, hey, are we living by our conviction? Because God wants to show up in those ways. The next story that we have is in chapter 6. This is not a detailed study of the book of Daniel. It just picks these three stories up. What happened in between was that, you know the story of the writing on the wall, right? Those articles that they took out of the temple that we read about in chapter 1, well, they began to defile those articles made God mad. They were all celebrating having a big, a big party in their temple, worshiping their gods, but using these sacred items and sacred articles. There was a finger that appeared on the wall. They called Daniel in to translate it, and he basically said, King, you're done. You violated this, you're on your way out. And listen, they died and the Medes came in and took over and there was a king of the Medes called Darius. Now, I'm giving you the background. Darius, he came in and saw what an asset to the, to the kingdom that, that Daniel was. He loved Darius. But the politics took over. There were some senators and some congressmen and some representatives that were in there. And they said, we can't stand the way the king feels about this. We need, to, we need to, to bring up some charges on Daniel. And they couldn't find anything to bring against him. They initiated an impeachment, an inquiry, and none of it worked. <laughs> so here's what they did. They said, what we'll do is we will take something that Daniel is committed to, and we will use it against him. Now listen about his character. We know that Daniel worships the living God. He goes up three times a day and he prays. He prays. We want to write a decree that says if any man asks anything except of the king, then he's to be killed. And we're going to get the king to sign this because he hasn't seen Daniel going to pray, but we've seen him. So we're going to get him to sign this. It's going to make the king look good, meaning everybody has to come to him. So they got the king to sign it that said you can't do anything unless it goes through the king. You can't ask some other god or some other man anything 
And you'll read this if you read chapter 6. But the part I want to bring you to is a Daniel that didn't get scared and act out because of his emotion, that didn't get sad and say, I guess I can't do it anymore, that didn't get intellectual and say, hey, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to close my door and I'm going to pray in secret. I want you to see what Daniel did. This is a huge verse, Daniel 6. I want to show it in Christian. This should motivate you. Chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, that means the decree was signed, he went into his house, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Listen to these last words, as he did aforetime. That means it had been a conviction for him to pray like that, right? He kept doing, he kept living by his conviction. What did that get him? That got him arrested, that got him taken to the lion's den. It got him thrown into the lion's den. But praise God, God knew that he made a stand on his conviction, so God shut the mouths of the lions, right? And when Daniel came up out of the lion's den, this is what you hear in verse 22. He says, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth, and they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocently was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. Don't, don't miss this last verse. No manner of hurt was found on him. Hey, no manner of hurt was found on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Because they believed in God. Not the idea of God, not an intellectual belief, not they believed there was a God. They believed deep in their heart. They were convicted. They lived by their conviction. Amen. What happened because of this? Well, it seems like a a repeating story, but at the end of this chapter, it says, Then King Darius, verse 25, wrote unto all people and nations and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every denomination, every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. Do you see what's happening here? They have a chance to, to be motivated and act for their feelings, or they have a, a chance to act upon their conviction. And where do we take this? Well, we have no problem with saying there is a certain conviction that a father or a mother need to have, right? There's a certain conviction that a parent needs to have, right? Isn't there a certain conviction that an employee needs to have? Isn't there a conviction a teacher needs to have if they're teaching your student? Why is it that we expect that, accept that, and live by it, but then in our relationship with God? You get what I'm saying? In our relationship with God, we're, well, we're weighing these things out not by our conviction, but by our, our feelings. I want to go back to what we began to talk about. God, right now, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling serving in that area. I'm not feeling being here as much as I can be here. I'm not feeling doing these things. I'm not feeling being able to talk to you. I'm not feeling a Bible study right now in my life. I'm not feeling these things that I know are being said. Why is that? 
You know, I have to ask the question, why is it, if I know I'm a Christian, that, that I'm not feeling it? Where is my conviction? I want to explain that to you in the rest of the time that I have. How can a person live by their conviction consistently? You see, and I want you to follow, and, and I'll be done here shortly. I just want you to grasp this because this is what's happening inside of us. For a person who's never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, and for a person that has. I need you to understand that, that conviction can't happen unless there's guilt. If there's no guilt, then there's no conviction. Understand, people don't want to be convicted. They don't want to be guilty. But understand this, you can't have guilt unless there's a truth that's introduced. You see, if there's no truth, there's no guilt. If there's no guilt, there's no conviction. We're living in a world that will clearly tell you, I'm just not convicted that way. There's people that are sitting in here today and they'll listen to me and they'll go back out and they're not convicted that way because some take the truth and turn away. Some just really dismiss the truth. But the truth is what you have to have guilt. I'll put it to you this way. If you're going down the road and there's a speed limit sign that says the speed limit is 55, Tell me what the speed limit is, somebody. That is the truth. It's stated on the sign. We call that truth the law, right? And in God's Word, He called His Word what? The law. So His Word is the Word of truth. It's given for us to obey. It's given for us because it's the revealed mind of God. So you see that speed limit sign. That's the truth. What happens when you break the speed limit and all of a sudden you see that someone has seen you break the speed limit like the guy behind you with the flashing light? Travis, where are you? He saw you break the law. And when he came to the car, you said, I didn't see the sign. What sign? What sign? I don't know a sign. The sign was the truth. You knew what happened when you broke it. Or what happens when nobody sees you but you know you're breaking it by five or six? Is there a little bit of guilt? <laughs> the guilt wouldn't be there without the truth, case in point. Let's take down all the signs. Let's take away the truth. Let's take away the speed limit. Would anybody be guilty of breaking it? You understand what I'm saying? Without the truth, there's no guilt. Without guilt, there's no conviction. You see, the conviction is when you feel guilty. It's when you feel like, hey, I need to look at what I'm doing because it doesn't line up. Now, we have to go this way now. You have truth, which leads to guilt, which leads to conviction. Do you realize you can realize what you're doing wrong? And like Sherry said, it still doesn't make you stop speeding. Why? Because guilt that leads to conviction has to lead to confession and repentance. You see, you have truth, 
which leads to guilt, which leads to conviction, which leads to confession. And confession is basically an acknowledgement of guilt. But all day long I could walk in here, shoot somebody and say, I admit I shot them. Is that repentance? No. Is that confession or acknowledgement that I've done wrong and that I want to change? No. Repentance is a turn from that. So without truth you can't have guilt. Without guilt you can't have conviction. Without conviction you can't have confession. You can't have repentance which leads to restoration because God gives forgiveness if all those things are in line and brings you back to Him. Isn't that beautiful? So if I'm the devil and I want to mess that up, what do I take away? Truth. You want to know what's happening today? You where I'm at? He's going to take the truth away you read. He's going to take the truth away that society presents. He's going to take the truth away in an intellectual way. He's going to try to confuse you and take your truth away in your emotions. You say, what do you mean your emotions? Your emotions will lie to you. My emotions will lie to me. I get up in the morning and there's a truth. If I have a truth in my heart that says, hey, listen, I know the best thing for me to do is to get up and go to the gym and work out. That is the truth. It's, it's what I believe. It's what I live by. It's going to make me healthier. It's going to make my, my, my whole day better. I'm going to feel better. And when I go and do that, I do feel better. It's a truth, right? And so my conviction keeps me doing that. I'm, I have a truth I'm holding deep, right? But when I get up tomorrow, there's going to be a feeling that says, you had a big day yesterday, pal. You know, aren't you tired? Oh, think about it. Wouldn't you do better to do this? And so I start listening to my emotions or my logic. Guess what they're doing? They're lying to me. What's better for me is to go and do it. But my emotions, my feelings, my logic will lie to me. So what happens? If I give in and do not live by my conviction, then I have listened to the lie and the best thing doesn't happen to me. Now in that same context, that's what happens to us with God. And so we don't glorify Him. Why? Because we failed to put ourselves in front of the truth. We failed to let the truth lead to conviction. This happens today. You know what? When we start having churches that quit bringing the Word of God, and He said the Word is truth, then you're going to have churches that start living by emotion and acting by emotion instead of by conviction. When we start dismissing it and saying, because society says that this is right. Listen, God says certain things about certain things where he makes no bones about it. When he says they're wrong, they're wrong. And the truth is that they're wrong. When we begin to hide the truth and we begin to accept that it's okay because society accepts it, then what are we doing? Then we're replacing the truth with a lie. And so there's no way that conviction can come. And when the church finds themselves in a party to where they can start dismissing that and saying, hey, listen, I knew this used to be called sin, but we're not going to call it sin anymore, then what's happened is the church has become the stumbling block. They're the ones that are promoting non-truth, which means nobody's going to get convicted. You say, well, I see these churches growing. Right, they're growing by emotion, which is lying to them. Conviction won't lie. Conviction is what keeps you coming back and coming back even when you don't feel like it. 
You say, well, how can I guard against this happening? Keep yourself in front of the truth. Keep your family in front of the truth. You know, we look at things, and I could sit up here and I could talk about homosexuality. I could talk about transgenderism. I could talk about the, the LGBT and, and all those things I'm not supposed to talk about. They're hot button. They're hot button. I can't talk about them. Listen, God has scripture in the Bible that points out right from wrong, and we like to jump all over them. And I'll be the first to say, hey, listen, if God said it's wrong, it's wrong, and we're going to stand for it. But do you know that we sit in this church today and we pick at those issues and we say that, but we, in our own rights, we're not following our own convictions. We have truths that we're denying. And if we're following our emotions and we can only get here one out of every four services, then you're having the same thing going on with you that they're having going on with you. You're denying the truth and you come in because it feels good at a certain time, but you've had some kind of feeling that's convinced you either logically or emotionally that I don't need to be there. You've got something else that says I don't need to pray right now. You've got something else that says I don't need to read the Bible. When we basically went back and saw the truth, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. Is that a truth? Pray without ceasing. Is that a truth? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Is that a truth? Then if you've done away with the truth, you're not going to be convicted. And if you don't hear it but once in a while, you can tune it out. You say, how do you know? Is this your opinion? No, I lived it. I fell out of relationship with God. I was there, but there was a certain point I lost my conviction. Why? Because I wasn't feeling it. I was feeling the income I needed to make and feeling the, the place I wanted to get and feeling the pleasure I wanted to have and feeling what I wanted to own and feeling materialism and feeling building up my name. Can I get a witness? Anybody, let me just starve up here by myself then. Anybody ever felt that way? And you acted upon your feelings. When you knew your conviction was what he wanted you to do. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they changed the world in Babylon. They brought glory to God. God's favor was all over them. His hand was all over them. And we're sitting talking about them today when they just did one simple thing. They lived by their conviction. Do you know what would happen in this town if we all committed to live by our conviction? Do you know what would happen in our families if we all committed to live by our conviction? Do you know what would happen in this church? There wouldn't be reason to sit. There wouldn't be a, a room to sit. Anybody in here today? I want to share something with you because you think I'm this preacher that stands up here and I'm always going to push this and push this. I'm going to go back to what we talked about. There will never be a time when you live by your conviction to God that you will feel bad about what you've done. But there will be many times that you fail to live and you will be up and down and up and down. Guys, aren't we tired of this roller coaster ride? These guys were firm. Firm in their belief. 
I mean, as soon as the decree was signed, Daniel said, time for me to pray. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as soon as the king brought them in front, they said, hey, we're not worried about what we're going to say to you. We don't feel threatened at all. Here's our answer. What gave them this kind of boldness, this confidence? They lived by their conviction. This conviction, this conviction happens on purpose. In today's time, when Jesus Christ when he gave his life on the cross, he, he told his disciples before he went, and I told you to turn to John 16. I won't be able to thoroughly go through it, but he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Comforter. And the Comforter, you'll see there in this verse in John 16, the Comforter, let me tell you what he's going to do. The Comforter, verse 8, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You know what the word reprove means? Somebody give me the definition. It means convict. Holy Spirit. You go on a couple more verses and he tells you, he describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Now what is it that starts conviction? Remember we went over this. Truth. He's the spirit of truth. The Bible says, and Jesus spoke, he will always lead you and guide you. You say, well then, why is it that you fell away? If you had the Holy Spirit, why is it you fell away? I shut out the truth. I simply did. I listened to my mind of intellect. I listened to my logic. I listened to what society was saying. And I listened to my feelings, my emotions. All those things can be up and down, can't they? But God's Word never changes. It's the same today, yesterday, forever. So, I don't think that we can say, I, I just, I can't have this apply to me. Because if you're a Christian, you know whether you're living by your conviction or living by your feelings. Why? Because the Holy Spirit right now is telling you. He's showing you yourself. Same way He showed me myself. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, then basically you haven't done it because you haven't felt like it. Either your intellect or your feelings have kept you from coming to Him. You felt like there was a different way. Listen, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God loves you. He wants you to accept His salvation. He gave Jesus, the life of Jesus, the sinless sacrifice on the cross. Why? So that you could come to Him. And He will by all means convict you that you are not coming to Him because of your sin. He will show you you're a sinner, but you have to either accept the truth or reject it. And even if you're convicted, you have to act upon it and confess, hey, I believe and profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to come into your heart. If that doesn't happen, then the conviction was not taken. Just stayed conviction. Let me ask you, what I've been trying to speak about the whole time. Are you living out your conviction? Are you living by your conviction? Are you living by your conviction? You know right now whether you are or not. 
You know whether you're living by feelings. You know whether you're living by intellect. You know whether you're living by logic. You know whether you're living by what society expects. You know right now because you know yourself better than anybody does. Let's forego any excuse, any justification. Weigh it against God's truth of how He wants you to be, what He wants you to be doing, and let the convicting power of the Holy Spirit show you right now, are you living by your conviction or by your feelings? And if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ right now, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you. You have an opportunity to come and accept Him. It doesn't matter whether life goes up or down. He said He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you. And I praise Him for that. doesn't matter what you've done. It says that He'll put all of our sins behind us as far as the east is from the west, and I praise Him for that, His grace and His mercy. So ask yourself today, am I living by my conviction? You say, what if I'm not? If you're not, you have a Heavenly Father that wants to help you. You just talk to Him, you ask Him. Give me strength. And guess what happens? He'll strengthen you with the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, He will strengthen you. He'll help you through this. He will incline you even more and more. Put yourself in front of the Word. Put yourself in the sound of the Word. He'll help even lead and convict you more to carry out your conviction. And if you are living there, then you know the peace. You should be the one that's jumping up and down and saying, hey, listen, this is the greatest thing I've ever done is live by my conviction, the peace that I have. You need to praise God for the truth of His Word today. And if you've not accepted the Lord as your Savior, I pray that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit right now leads you to Him. I'll be standing right here. I'll pray with you. You can receive the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive, which is Jesus Christ as your Savior. You come to Him and confess today that you are a sinner, that you believe that Jesus died for you. You carry out that conviction to the next step and ask for forgiveness and repent and say, I want to give my heart to you, that deep place within me where my conviction lies. I want to give that to you, Lord. He'll save you today. The Holy Spirit will indwell you, and you can live out your conviction the same way that these people did in the Bible. Father God, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for your word today. I thank you, God, for letting it be clear to us. I pray, God, that you would just continue to Let your word work, Lord, throughout this invitation. I pray, God, right now that you would stop the devil from being able to to get in our minds and let us think about anything except for what we just heard. I pray, God, for the answer that each person gives you during this invitation. God, you've spoken to us. You've asked us a question. You've given us truths. Now, Lord, the answer, the invitation, the response, Lord, I pray for the response of hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit... Lord, moves during this invitation. If there are those that are lost, I pray they see their need to accept your son Jesus as Savior and come to you, Lord, to follow that truth. Lord, recognizing their guilt, being under conviction, confessing, professing their belief and asking for forgiveness and coming into fellowship with you. And I pray, God, for Christians all over this room and those that are listening. Lord, let us see ourselves so clearly right now if we are living by our conviction. If we're not, Lord, show us ourselves. Show us you. Show us ourselves. I pray, God, that lives are changed today, that there's a boldness, Lord, for people to come to you and make a change in their mind and ask for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen.